You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a three-part series of messages entitled Ruth and Boaz, A Love Story that J. Vernon McGee presented at Founders Week 1982. Then we'll close the week with a two-part message on Job, God's Example, from Founders Week 1980. J. Vernon McGee was a pastor, Bible teacher, theologian, and speaker on the Through the Bible radio program. Now here is J. Vernon McGee on Today in the Word Radio. That's the water that was there two years ago. (laughs) The first time that I came to Founders Week was many, many years ago. It was sometime this this side of the gay 90s, and uh, Actually, I think it was at least 25 years ago. And at that time, I spoke on the book of Ruth. I had uh, five sessions at that time, and I did not have time enough to deal with the book adequately. And so I only have three this time. I've never done that before. I don't know that I can do it, but I'll do my best. And I, Sunday, I was coming in on the plane and uh, from Florida. And when we got down to where the snow uh, was falling, why, I asked myself the question, why in the world are you coming into this snow blizzard to speak three times on the book of Ruth? And I felt very much like a professor out in California heard about. He began his last semester by giving a lecture, and he started it by saying, Elizabeth II is Queen of England. Ronald Reagan is President of the United States. How old am I? And the students all looked at each other. They couldn't imagine. And so the next day, he got up and he said, uh, Elizabeth II is Queen of England. Ronald Reagan is President of the United States. How old am I? Well, there was a student in the class, and that student in the class, he said, I'm going to find out how old that professor is. And so he uh, was able to get into the office, and he knew a girl that worked there, and he said, can you get the folder on this professor? She said, yes. He says, would you tell me how old he is? And so she did. Next day in class, he started out as usual. He says, uh, Elizabeth II is Queen of England. Ronald Reagan is President of the United States. How old am I? And this boy put up his hand. And the professor said, how old am I? Well, he says, uh, you are 44 years old. And the professor said, that's exactly right, but how in the world did you know that? Well, he says, I have a brother that's in the insane asylum, and he's 22 years old, and you're twice as crazy as he is. I want to give a little background to the book of Ruth. It was 
drawn to my attention when I was a student in seminary in my denomination, the seminary of my denomination. And the seminary at that time was divided between what was known in that day as modernists and fundamentalists. And uh, actually, the, fun, the uh, liberals, as they're called now, are modernists, were winning the day. I felt that the fundamentalists had presented the wonderful doctrine of redemption in a way that made it a cold, hard business transaction, cash on the barrel head. Christ paid for our salvation. Everything was true, but one element was left out. And so I did not know what it was, but one night I pulled down John Calvin's Institutes off of the shelf in the library, and uh, when I pulled a book like that off the shelf, it was because it was required reading and I began to turn the pages, and I came across something that interests me. He gave the types of redeemers in the, New, in the Old Testament, and he gave Moses, and that was good, and he gave several of the judges, and I was amazed that he gave Samson, and he entirely passed over Boaz in the little book of Ruth. And then I thought, well, maybe this is where the trouble is. There's an overemphasis on the business side, the commercial side, but the love side has been entirely neglected because Boaz is the only example in the Bible, in the Old Testament, of a kinsman redeemer. And we need to have that example because it reveals to us the love of Christ for us. For Boaz was a redeemer of Ruth, and he redeemed her because he was in love with her. The book of Ruth is a love story. God, unabashed and unashamed, tells the love story of a, a good man, honest man, an upright man, a true man, for a very faithful and modest and beautiful woman. And we don't get stories like that today. We're living in a day where the heroes are erotic, the heroines are neurotic, and the plots are tomerotic. We're, we're living in a time when we have phony heroes and filthy homos and Love stories today are filled with jerks and quirks and squirts. They're all there. But here is a wonderful love story, and I wish that I could tell it in the way that it should be told. The little book of Ruth can be divided many ways. I divide it geographically. Chapter 1, we're in the land of Moab. Chapter 2, we're in the fields of Boaz. Chapter 3, we're on the threshing floor of Boaz. And chapter 4, in the heart and home of Boaz. Now, I'll have to cut many corners, and I'll go right now to the text of the first chapter 
and we'll be in the land of Moab. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges rule that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. That's one of the most wonderful sentences that could ever be written. And those of you who study literature know how wonderful it is. When I was a, a student in college, I had a job on the Memphis Commercial Appeal. They started me off as a cub reporter. I went down with another cub reporter, and we saw a murder on Beale Street, and we wrote it up. And I mean, we wrote it up. And we were proud of the way we wrote it. We brought it in and put it on the city editor's desk, and he took it, scanned it, and dropped it in the wastebasket. That man never realized that he probably ruined a marvelous piece of literature when he did that, but he threw it away. And then he said to both of us, sit down. And he said, when you write a story, you do not make a tapeworm. The thing that you do is to tell it as briefly as you can, and you put time and place in your first sentence. I haven't looked at the paper today, but I dare say if you look at it, the Associated Press and the United Press started every uh, a feature article with one sentence that covered a paragraph and it told everything in the first sentence. They do that, that you have to do that. And the Holy Spirit is a very good reporter. In this first verse here, he gives us the time and the place, and more information than that, by the way. It was in the time the judges ruled. Now, that was a dark time in the nation Israel. Days were never as dark as they were during that period of the judges. These people had come into the land, the land of promise, and they had come in with great promise that now they would serve God. But instead of doing that, they went into idolatry. And it's just a story of the rolling of the wheel of history repeating itself. They serve God, and then drop into idolatry, and then God judges them. They cry out to God. He delivers them. They come back to a place of prosperity, and down the wheel goes again. That's the book of Judges. And this period was a very dark period because we're told there was a famine in the land. And a famine, there are nine of them in the Old Testament, and every one of them is a judgment of God upon his people. So these were very dark days. Now God is going to write the story of redemption, a love story, on the black background of the days of the judges. And that's the way God writes. He wrote the story of your salvation and mine on the black background of our sin. And salvation is written that way. And men are learning to write like that. The first freeway uh, in this country is said to be the Pasadena Freeway uh, in California. 
And uh, we used to think that is a great freeway, but it's a, it's a death trap now. And they have changed the signs. The signs used to be a white background and black letters, but they don't write that way anymore. I haven't been out on your freeway yet, but I have a notion it's a black background and light letters. That's the way God writes. On the black background of our sin, he wrote the story of salvation. Now on the black background of the days of the judges, he's going to write what I think is the loveliest love story that's ever been told. It's a story of Boaz and Ruth. Now the place is Bethlehem, Judah. Now Bethlehem, Judah, and I'm going to look at meaning of names here if you don't mind. If any of you here contemplating writing a new translation, this time let's have one that translates the Old Testament names uh, because uh, there's been too much copying one after another in all these new ones that have come out. So let's try something new. Translate the names. And believe me, there'll be a wealth of meaning. Bethlehem means house of bread. And Judah means praise. Here is a man, in fact, it's a quartet, it's a family. A man, his wife, and his two sons, and they live in the house of bread and the house of praise. That's a nice place to live, isn't it? And we're told that they went to sojourn in the country of Moab. And that, just like them, Abraham did the same thing. He went down into Egypt in time of a famine. He should not have gone. God didn't tell him to go. God's not telling these people to go either. But now they, they beat it down into the land of Moab. And it's very interesting what's said about uh, Moab. Over in the 60th Psalm, the 8th verse, there's the strangest thing that is said about Moab. God says, Moab is my wash pot. Isn't that a peculiar thing for God to say? And let me change that a little. Moab is my garbage can. Here is a family that lived in the house of bread and praise, and they go over to start eating out of a garbage can. Did you ever hear that story before? The Lord Jesus told a parable about a boy that left his father's house and went to the far country, and he ended up by eating in a pig pen. Prodigal son. Here's a prodigal family. They are leaving the house of bread and praise, and they're going over to Moab, the garbage can. They're going over there to live. And may I say to you that whether it's a prodigal son or a prodigal family, they're going to get their whipping in the far country. It's always interesting that the prodigal son got his whipping in the far country and he got a robe and a banquet when he got home. There's many of God's children that get in the far country and they're afraid to come back. They say, God will whip me. He'll whip you, but that, he'll do that in the woodshed of the far country. And when you come home, there's a robe and there's a banquet that's awaiting when the child of God will come home. And there are a lot of God's children today that need to come home, by the way. They've been out in the far country. 
And here's a, here's a family, and I can warn you that they're going to get their whipping in the far country. But I'd like for you to meet this family. They're a lovely family, by the way. And the name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech means God is my king. Isn't that a marvelous name to have everywhere you go? Anybody says Elimelech, what they're really saying is, God is my king. What a testimony. But I don't think it was a good testimony in the land of Moab. The question would have to be asked, if God's your king, what are you doing over here? You ought to be back in your own land. He didn't have much of a testimony, I guess, but he had a marvelous name, God is my king. And his wife, is, her name is Naomi. And uh, Naomi means pleasant. I want to give her a better name than that. Her name is Mary Sunshine. She was one of these lovely children of God, and a lot of them about today. They live on top of their circumstances, not under their circumstances. Many of us live under them. I have a preacher friend. He tells me that that's where I live. He says, McGee, you're always living under your circumstances. Well, she lived on top of hers. And you'll see that, that it was something that was quite wonderful when you consider the, some of the problems that she had. Now, will you notice? And the name of his two sons, Malon and Kylion. Now, Malon means unhealthy, and Kylion means puny. And these were two sick boys. And she had these two sick boys on her hands. And she lived on top of her circumstances. Her name is Mary Sunshine. Isn't this a marvelous quartet? My God is King, Mary Sunshine, and two sick boys. <laughs> That's the family. And they've gone now to the far country, and they've gone to Moab. Now, will you notice? And Elimelech. Naomi's husband died, and she was left of her two sons. I told you they'd get a whipping. That my God is king dies in the far country. Someone asked the late Dr. Harry Rimmer. They said, Dr. Rimmer, if the prodigal son had died in a pig pen, what then? Dr. Rimmer said, he would never have been a dead pig. He was always a son. <laughs> he was always a son. But that's a bad place to die. And Limelech, he dies, and now she's left with these two sickly boys. And notice what they did. They break the Mosaic law, and they took themselves wives of the women of Moab. The Mosaic law said for them not to do that. Moab in Scripture is always the enemy of Israel, always the enemy of Israel. And here, they take them wives of women of Moab. And I don't blame them because I think both of them were good-looking gir uh, girls. The name of the one was Orpah. Now, Orpah means dear. I don't mean D-E-A-R, but D-W-E-R. And that means she was fast on foot. Uh, have you ever noticed that the Greeks, and in the early days, they put the emphasis not upon beauty of face or figure, for a woman, but put it upon her athletic ability. 
That was true of, of the Greeks. It was true you know, here of these people. Orpa was an athletic girl. And I'm not sure but why we're coming back to that today. There's a great emphasis on girl athletes today. So girls, uh, get to the gymnasium. That's the place to go today. And, and then the name of the other is Ruth. Now that's the girl we're focusing on. And I wished I had a, a word for her. It means friendly, but it also means beauty. It also means that she had a great deal of charisma. She had real personality. And there is a word I'd like to associate with her, but Hollywood has ruined the word. That's glamour. If you'll not misunderstand me, I'll say that Ruth, she was a glamour gal, let me tell you. She was really something. She's out of this world, fellas, I'll tell you that. She was a marvelous girl. And now notice what happens. And Malon and Kylion died also, both of them. Now, I didn't think they were, were going to make it through another hard winter. Uh, <laughs> and they didn't. And the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Now look what's happened to the prodigal family. They came out to the land of Moab uh, Quartet. Uh, there were three men and one woman. Now they've got three women. <laughs> and I don't mean to minimize the fact they're women, but they're all widows, three widows now, and the men are gone. Uh, may I say to you, they got the whipping in the far country, and, and now this woman, Mary Sunshine, she's going home. And Malon and Kylion died, both of them, and the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Uh, the new Schofield wants to change it to food, but I like bread because Bethlehem means house of bread, and there's bread back in the house of bread now, and she wants now to go home. And she starts out with these three girls, that is, in including herself, of course, and they have a problem, and she faces that problem. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, now she thought it over, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. This ought to put to rest all mother-in-law jokes because here's a mother-in-law that speaks well of the two girls that married her sons. She says, you have done well by my boys, but uh, I don't think you ought to go with me. If you go back with me, it means that you'll be ostracized. It means that uh, you'll be an outcast. 
it means that my people will reject you. So don't go back with me. Stay here. And stay here and, and marry a husband among your own people. Don't go with me. Now that's her advice. And we read here, And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. This is a real womanly scene, isn't it? These three women, they've started out to go to Bethlehem, and after a night's rest, Naomi thought the thing over, and she said, these girls ought not to go with me. It's going to be a big price for them to pay. She's going to let Ruth know it'll mean perpetual widowhood and perpetual poverty. That's what you have to pay if you go with me. And she now makes it very easy for them to turn and go back. Go back and marry among your own people. And they had a real womanly scene. They took out their handkerchiefs, and, they all, and all three of them cried. I call this the meeting of the handkerchief brigade, you know. And here they're having, they're having a good time crying about this. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And they say, We're going to go with you. Both of them decided that they'd go with her. And Naomi now is going to talk to them like a Dutch uncle talking to a red-headed stepchild. She's really going to lay it on the line. And I'm not going to read this because I've got to pass over uh, some things here in order to get to where we're going uh, in this period today. And it is simply this. There was a law in that day. We'll have occasion to look at that in our last study a law that required a widow to remarry either a brother or a near relative. That was required in the Mosaic law. God did it purposely. It kept families intact, as we're going to see. It kept property. You see, God not only gave to each tribe a section, he gave to each family and each tribe a particular parcel of ground and he so arranged it that that property could never slip out of the hands of the original owners. Never could. And we'll have occasion to look at that. And so we, and we'll probably see that tonight. But here, uh, these girls are being told very candidly, Naomi says, I don't intend to get married again. I would not have children if I did. And if I had children, you wouldn't be waiting for them to marry them. You'd be robbing the cradle. And so forget it. Go on back to your own people and don't go with me. And after telling them that, verse 14, they lifted up their voice and wept again. Out come the handkerchiefs and we have another meeting. Now, if you had driven by that day on the freeway and looked over there, in the land of Moab and had seen these three women, you would have said, nothing important is happening over there. Well, let me say this to you. A decision is going to be made 
right over there with those three women that's going to determine whether Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem or not. If the events recorded in the book of Ruth had not taken place, Jesus would not have been born in Bethlehem. Now, that's how important the little book of Ruth is. It's very important to the story. And uh, if, there, if the right decision is not made, why, Jesus won't be born in Bethlehem. Now, let's look at this again. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now we come to the dividing here. Up to this point, you could not tell the difference between Ruth or Orpah. Now a decision is made and has to be made. I believe it is a decision that every person has to make, and I think you have to make it, and I think I have to make it. It's a very important decision as it concerns life. This, this girl, Orpah, seemed to be genuine. She was a church member. She came to church in Sunday school, probably taught a Sunday school class. But the only thing was she wasn't genuine, and uh, she kissed her mother-in-law. She loved her. She's a sweet girl, <laughs> but she's not real. <laughs> she's not real. Uh, her decision was not real for God. Ruth clung to her. Ruth said, I'm going with you. May I say to you, I think that we have here the finest illustration that we have in Scripture of that which is true and that which is real in repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Let me be theological for just a moment here. What, what is repentance and where does it fit into the plan of salvation? I personally do not think that we should preach repentance to the unsaved. I'll be honest with you. I think that uh, we should preach Christ. You remember what Paul did when he went to Thessalonica? He didn't run a series of messages against idolatry. Take up Apollo one night and take up some other goddess the next night, Aphrodite. He didn't do that. He preached Christ. And when he wrote to them, he said, How ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. What is repentance? Metanoia means change of mind. It means, I don't know what I can do this in here, in this overcoat they got me in, but it means to be going this way. And then there's a change of mind, and you turn and go the other way. That's repentance. Now, where does repentance fit into salvation? Paul went to Thessalonica and he preached Christ. And when he preached Christ, 
they turn to Christ. And when they turn to Christ, they turn from idols. And listen, you can't turn to Christ without turning from something. I'm so tired today of hearing people say, well, uh, I'm an actress and I've accepted Jesus, but I'm going right on with the old dirty stuff I've been in. I don't think you can do that, kid. I don't think you can do it. You can't turn to Christ without turning from something. Repentance is important. Listen, I can't turn the front of that hand to you without turning the back away from you. You can't turn to Christ without turning from something. And this girl says, I'm turning from the idolatry of Moab, and I'm turning to the God of Israel. May I say to you, I believe that's where repentance fits into our plan of salvation today. And we need to hold up Christ. Uh, Paul, to the Philippian jailer, didn't say you'd... You, he didn't say to him, you got to give up this job in this jail here. You, you beat me in an inch of my life tonight. You can't continue doing that and be a Christian. He didn't do that. He preached Christ. <laughs> and I don't know, but I do know this, that the Philippian jailer apparently became a good friend of the Apostle Paul and a member of the church. When you turn to Christ, you'll turn from something. Or you didn't turn to Christ. I just can't turn that hand the front of it, not turn in the back of it. You can't turn to Christ. Paul says, how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Orpah now, will you notice? And she said, now it's Naomi speaking, behold thy sister it, in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Orpah went back to idolatry. She wasn't genuine. She joined the church, but she hadn't turned to Christ from idols. Now will you notice She's gone back under a people to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to turn away from following after thee, for where thou goest, I will go. Now, I want you to notice here, because this is, I think, one of the most wonderful pledges that any person has ever made. I used part of this in a double ring ceremony for the girl to repeat. And uh, it's, it's positively a tremendous decision that Ruth has made. And uh, I can explain something now that I couldn't explain a while ago. Uh, and that is, why would a girl like Ruth and Arpa married two sickly boys. That, that presented a problem to me. Why in the world would they do that? Well, all I know is that 
in the course of my ministry, there have been several hundred that have come before me to be married. And I'll be honest with you, there are many a time that I felt like taking the girl aside and saying, Honey, why don't you wait? <laughs> the right fellow come along if you'll just wait, you know. Uh, may I say to you, I think it was something like that. But now I can tell you why Ruth married into that family. Do you know why? She came to a knowledge of the living and true God. Down the street from where she lived, a family moved in, and they had just come. They were strangers. They'd just come over from Israel. Nobody wanted to have much to do with them. But she found out they didn't worship idols, but worshiped the living and true God. And she got acquainted with this boy. And I think Malon, on some moonlight night, he told her about the living and true God, the God of Israel. And this girl, I tell you, she said, I want to know him. And she made a decision for the living God. That's what, that's what Ruth did. That's the reason she married that boy. May I say to you, listen to her now. Entreat me not to leave thee, or to turn away from following after thee. Number one, for where thou goest, I will go. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? She says, don't, don't tell me to go back. I'm, where you go, I'm going. I'm going with you. I made a decision like that. I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Now, I'm not using you as a pass to get into the land and get out of this land. I'm going to stay with you. You can count on me. I'll live with you. Thy people shall be my people. And my, what a decision. I'm confident that, in fact, I know that Naomi had told her, our people have a law. Deuteronomy 23.3, a Moabite or an Ammonite, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. How's Ruth going to get in? Ruth and Orpah, go back. If you go with me, it's perpetual widowhood. It is perpetual poverty. You, you, you won't be accepted. Don't go with me. Go back. And she says, your people may not accept me, but I'm going to accept them because they're God's people. You know, when you become a child of God, you have to love God's people. Some of them are not, you know, not so lovely. Some are more lovely than others. But you have to love God's people. And, and she said, I, your people are going to be my people now. And then notice, and thy God, my God. <laughs> Her decision was a decision for God. That's the reason she married the boy. That's the reason she's going with Naomi now. She has made a decision for God. Now she says this, Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. Now that means practically nothing to us today, and that meant everything to an Israelite, and it reveals to me that she was a an instructed believer at this time. Because, you know, every Israelite wanted to be buried in that land. 
Abraham wanted to be buried in that land because God had vouchsafed that land to him. And I personally believe that Abraham's hope is in that land. I do not think Abraham will be in the church. Abraham will be raised on this earth. And that's the way I understand the expression, the kingdom of heaven. You see, I'm a poor, simple preacher from Southern California, and uh, these theologians have kicked that expression, the kingdom of heaven, around so much today it can mean anything. To me, all it means is the reign of the heavens over this earth. And Abraham is connected with that, see? That's his hope, that someday this earth is going to be a heaven. He's been vouchsafed a land. And he not only believed that, but Isaac believed it, and Jacob believed it, and Jacob way down in Egypt. He said, don't you bury me down here among these mummies. You take me up there and bury me with my fathers. And, uh, and so Joseph took an oath that he would bury his father. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are buried at Hebron. Uh, they are buried there today. That, that's their hope, their hopes on this earth. I've got a different hope. You've got a different hope. Uh, Lord Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So uh, this girl says, I want to be buried in the land. And you remember when Joseph, uh, before he died, he said, be sure when you come up out of Egypt that you take my bones. And there she came. Joseph is buried. He was brought back to that land. That was their hope. Now, Ruth knew that. And who told her that? Well, this family of Elimelech had instructed her. And that was their hope. She says, where you are buried, I'm going to be buried. For that's my hope, too, that someday I'll be raised in that land. What a marvelous thing. And she says, The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death part thee and me. What a marvelous pledge this was, and this is what she's made. Now will you note, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she ceased speaking unto her. Naomi says, I know Ruth well enough that when she makes up her mind, that's the way it's going to be. And this girl's made up her mind. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. It came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Mary Sunshine? Is this the woman that we knew before? And I think she was so changed, they, they actually did not know her. What? Uh, this woman had paid a tremendous price, an awful price. She's come back now, and she's lost everyone that she loved, and all she has with her is a little foreign girl, a little Moabitish girl. She's a beauty, but she is a Moabite. And how is she going to get into the congregation of Israel when the Mosaic law shuts her out? And so I think the proper thing for me to do is to stop right there, because when you're telling a story, 
you ought to always stop at a, clean, a, a cliffhanger. And this is a cliffhanger because you will probably miss your evening meal worrying about how this is going to work out, how this girl is going to work out. So we'll have to wait till tonight to find out. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of three messages J. Vernon McGee presented on Ruth and Boaz, a love story at Founders Week 1982. J. Vernon McGee was a pastor, Bible teacher, theologian, and speaker on the Through the Bible radio program. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.